Welcome to Savage Minds. This week's guest is Kelly J. Keene, a women's rights campaigner. She is also known by the name Posey Parker. Kelly J. started standing for women in 2018 and has adorned walls with billboards and stickers with the dictionary definition of the word woman. She has also publicly declared her support for J.K. Rowling and has dressed women with iconic t-shirts, including Mary Wollstonecraft. Kelly J. is a controversial figure and says of herself, quote, I am unwilling to compromise women's rights on any level. The blood, sweat, and tears of women that came before us are not mine to disregard, end quote. Welcome to our podcast, Kelly J. Thanks, Delian. I would like to know a bit about what you've been involved in these recent weeks. Being someone who listens to your podcast, when I can, because of a quasi-lockdown situation where I'm living, I'm very impressed with a lot of the work that you've done and the breadth of it, from not just your your billboards, but the way your billboards has also had a contagion in the United States. Could you speak to some of these actions? Well... The billboards are an interesting thing. I think um, they've now <laughs> they're now accused of being a dog whistle. So now uh, the dictionary definition of woman, uh, obviously, because everything that we do is is in uh, response to men, and it's nothing to do with women all on our own. But they're now called a, a transphobic dog whistle. So I think that's um, that's quite interesting, if not quite amusing, if it wasn't so sinister, uh, and. It has been picked up. The iHeart J.K. Rowling uh, billboard that we put up in uh, Waverley Station in Edinburgh, uh, that was as a response to trans activists who poured red blood into the handprints of J.K. Rowling. And they did that to sort of say she had blood on her hands for daring to speak up for the rights of women, because obviously that means that there will be a mass suicide by uh, people that call themselves trans. And right. so just as a support and response to encourage JK Rowling to stand firm uh, and know that there were so many women that were just so grateful for her speaking up at all that uh, we've just wanted to do something to show her support. And because it is an expression of love uh, with a big red heart uh, right in the center of the poster, it then can't be so easily characterized as a transphobic dog whistle although they have uh tried but it is they there's uh queries in australia new zealand and ireland about also putting it up uh and also putting a you know definition of woman so there are other groups throughout the globe that are doing it and in canada they've already done it and then throughout america including the washington oh what do they call their tube um sort of underground stations mm-hmm. and the result has been quite positive actually because your message i remember when you started doing these billboards it was quite ingenious because obviously the accusation <clears throat> that this is called a dog whistle is actually proof of what you're saying that a dictionary definition of woman is cause for people to be upset yeah yeah well we we tried to get something really bland so you know you wanted something when when we first did it it was all about it being the most neutral uh woman-centered thing and the thought process was what was ultimately at stake by trans activism what was really happening to 
the way that we were talking and it was that we could no longer talk about women so we had words like menstruators cervix havers um birthing people uh chest feeders those sorts of things that was used in replace of the word woman so it was just obvious that the erasure of women uh, the first massive assault is is going to or the final frontier really i guess is going to be language and why do you think that people to the left of center have embraced this kind of identity politics where language, not money, not any kind of material currency, but language is what is up for grabs? Well, I mean, I'm not a great political analyzer, but I've been, uh, or analyst rather, I've been looking at this and my gut response is that now that I've awoken and have moved away from the left, I often think, was it always like this? And I just had no idea. Um, and or is this brand new? And I think it's a little combination of both. I think it's worse than it's ever been. But I think ultimately people have always taken language to stop people being able to speak if you look at somewhere like um afghanistan women don't even have names uh even in death so they're buried with a sort of unmarked graves and they're referred to by their male relatives and so why the left has done this um i think it's a combination of wanting to be nice uh not really thinking about things that you're told to think so assuming that there is this moral superiority that exists in the left, that means if the left tells you something is right, then it automatically is. And the lack of critical analysis on anything, everything is so surface that nobody ever looks beyond uh, the, what they're being told. Nobody thinks about the reasons behind it or what the ultimate consequences are of their, their new thinking or their evolved thinking. Yes, certainly we've seen this uh, within the debates over what transgender activists will call trans rights and what feminists are calling the erasure of not only women as a definition, but clearly they're using the linguistic warfare, the assault on language in order to shore up gains on the actual material front. The other side to the language wars that they are trying to make physical space advances. I mean, if we look at this as a battlefield, it's about gaining access to dressing room, changing room, mm. segregated by sex spaces that are in, segregated because they're important to be segregated because sexual assault and rape is, is not a fiction. These are realities. And you're pointing to the definition of woman on billboards and t-shirts and this being called offensive as a call to murder or to provoke trans suicides and now as you point out being a dog whistle this seems to indicate that something's really gone amiss on the left while the left historically has been entrenched in material analysis meaning the left was the space where you would go to to see what homelessness wasn't just a word homelessness literally meant someone who physically did not have a place to sleep. Mm. We're seeing this kind of odd reversal on identity politics. I've just written about this where the ACLU was historically the group 
that had the Democratic Party's back in terms of free speech, because the Democratic Party in the United States was the party that was pro-free speech. In recent years, mm -hmm. the ACLU did a 180 on free speech, and they suddenly decided that some free speech, remember, the ACLU went to bat for the Ku Klux Klan uh, in court battles, a famous court battle uh, 40 years ago, and they decided that some free speech is actually not good, that it can be harmful. So the very leftist tradition that once upon a time fought for our right to express and to say things and to analyze poverty is real, pointing to the absence of a house, pointing to the absence of money in the bank. Now, it mm. seems that it's we so, are living yeah. in this very surreal moment of the left and the right shifting poles. I'm seeing much more concern from the right about women's, based, uh, women's sex-based protections about their right to say no to men. I mean, this is the right wing <laughs> going to bat for our rights. And many women on the left, I'm sure you've had dealings with them as well, are the ones that are calling us mm. haters for saying that woman is an adult human female. How do we get out of it's this? Just, I, well, I don't know because those same women, um, so the people that recognize uh, the harms of trans activist demands and the way that we talk about women and trans activism and the different censorship, they can see it there, but they really don't see it in themselves, which I find quite extraordinary because, you know, the first thing that happened to me when all of this stuff happened, uh, when I realized what was at stake, which was as late as 2015, I then questioned everything. You know, it wasn't all of my previously held beliefs were up for grabs. It was like, well, why do I think this? Uh, is there a reason for me to think this? Have I just been told to think this? And I know that men on the left like to call this red pill or whatever it is. Um, but I think it's, it is uh, conversely to woke, it is actually like an awakening when you realize that all of these things that you're holding on to are perhaps not really true. Certainly, um, we're, we're seeing that a lot of women are waking up from this. Myself, I was one. I did queer theory. I used to call some of these men she out of the uh, friendship. I knew some of them and I thought, oh, I don't want to hurt their feelings. Many of the feminists would say mm -hmm. this is our conditioning as females that we're made to be more polite. True. But now that we're all talking about this more and more, the media is covering these stories. I have a Google alert. So every day at 10 o'clock, I get an email from Google giving me all the media stories that day for transgender. There's an enormous amount of transgender stories, I dare say, far more than covering homelessness in Britain, people who are barely able to survive during post-lockdown and now new lockdown Britain. Yeah. And it, it's an easy fight, right? It's a surface easy fight. It's an Instagram meme, uh, the whole transgender story. It's um, nobody's going to solve the world, world hunger. Uh, and even climate change is... is sort of reported in the same way it's all surface level you are really in control of your life kids 
um, as opposed to real things that actually have an impact on your life. Absolutely. And the media is feeding into this, the way it covered protesters mm. in the States as a, uh, who were pro-Trump as opposed to those protesting uh, the police. Two different media representations entirely. We saw the same thing with Distinction Rebellion coverage in the UK uh, as opposed mm. to those who were out on the street breaking lockdown, right? And we are yeah. still given these diametrically opposed media representations. So oh. I, I, I mean, I watched the, uh, so I have a friend um, who, someone I don't know that well, lives in California, but British born. Mm -hmm. And she talked about the BLM protest. She's a white woman. She talked about the BLM protest. She talked about the smashing up and how uh, they were peaceful protests and it was really understandable. And she sort of thinks that Antifa is um, a genuine organization that's anti-fascist. And so she sort of talked about this stuff and how uh, it was so brilliant to see all these young people rising up against uh, authority. But then she talked about how boarded, how, how in her state they were boarding up shops in preparation for Trump uh, fans or voters uh, losing their minds when he loses. Now, there's been no such riot. I'm not saying that there won't be should there be a recount and he is elected or not elected or whatever happens. Maybe there will be some sort of starting point for something more dramatic. But when you sort of phrase it with him and said, well, you called the BLM protests uh, peaceful. You also talk about how stupid Trump supporters are for not supporting the lockdown and not wearing masks. And yet you're celebrating Biden's victory with all these people congregating in the streets. Like, is this, is it genuinely that you don't see your hypocrisy or don't understand that you're saying all these mixed things based on who you're talking about? Or is this, you know, is this willful or is this just stupidity? Um, I mean, I haven't actually asked her outright because clearly I'm banned from all social media at the moment. But it's, um, you just wonder where do people's heads go? Like, where do they... Where is the point in their brains that allows them to do such ghastly and overt um, hypocrisy? Just so terrible. Well, this is where party politics uh, is a true part of the problem. I'm beginning to believe that maybe we need to do politics in an entirely different way. This was suggested by people like, you know, Brett Weinstein and um, others mm. who are offering possibilities to the typical platforms that are rinse and repeat and seem to get us nowhere. And the fact you've just mentioned that you are banned from pay Facebook, how many more days do you have to wait to get back on? Uh, well, it was 30 days. I think it might be about another 10 or 11. And that was for calling. There was... um. A long story short, there was a woman who owns a vegan cafe in Brighton and she had refused to put up, I think she donates her profit, so she's non-profit and she donates, or not-for-profit rather, she donates the profits to help give children who can't, who don't have enough money in their families to eat better. So she's, you know, it's a pretty moral little thing and 
she had refused to put up a fundraiser for somebody to have uh, their breasts amputated or as a euphemistically called top surgery. And because she'd done that, she'd been targeted by trans activists. So I had gone on the page set up to ruin this woman's business and called somebody a man, uh, literally just a man, and uh, also said that somebody was a middle-class, spoiled little rich boy, and I was banned for 30 days. Mm-hmm. Wow, what was worse, calling the person middle-class or a boy? Because what's interesting <laughs> in what's going on is that Big tech, we saw this again with the Hunter Biden case, but it was not the first time. I've been writing for years about the dangers between uh, big tech, which is, you know, Twitter, Facebook, Google, beyond, mm. Instagram, and they're owned by each other too, and um, freedom of speech, which you very well know about, and then the, the links between the Department of Defense and these organizations. I wrote in 2018 various articles uh, for Forbes and Counterpunch about how Google is the company that supplied Dragonfly, uh, basically Department of Defense drone system. And it was only because of an internal memo that was leaked and Google workers came out in, in droves, protested, massive letter, it was all over the news. Google promised to put it away. The next year, when the contract came up, Google honored its word to its uh, workers, and uh, Palantir took over. Now, all of this is geeky, googly gop for many people, but what's important is um, see the news that's coming out this week. See my piece later today. I'm going to put it up. Um, Biden's uh, <laughs> transition team is chock full of people from these companies. And it's extremely yes, dangerous what's happening because we're seeing... I think I read your update today. Oh, did you? Okay, because it's just like, it's insane. There's a whole uh, crossover between uh, the military-industrial complex, big tech, and free speech. And people need to be very alarmed by this. All these Democrats wiping their brows saying, oh, crazy Trump's out of office. I've been, you know, go to my Facebook wall. It's a battlefield. I, even from dear friends of mine, one who asked me, are you okay? I'm like, yeah, more than okay. I, I think it's all dangerous. I think uh, we're, we at least with Trump, we had division. So warfare wasn't really quickly happening under his administration. In fact, he didn't uh, create new, new theaters of war, as had Obama and W. Bush and Clinton, and we can go back. In fact, Trump is the first leader in my lifetime, president of the United States in my lifetime to not have started a new theater of war, right? So these are very important yeah. facts that people choose to forget. Not, oh, they're gonna, I'm gonna get now email saying, you're supporting Trump. No, <laughs> I'm stating a fact. And here we are once again, it's like trans women are women nonsense all over again. We need to be able to speak, speak clearly about facts. Um, we had two horrible candidates to choose from, um, and, and, and people made the choice they wanted to. Meanwhile, we've got people like Robert Reich su suggesting blacklists of you know, people who supported Trump to be published. Other organizations have actually started an online agenda to list everyone, funders to voters, 
uh, another group, a geographical map, so you can see which neighbors voted for Trump. I, I kid you not. This is frightening. And so you're being you know, insane. Off of Facebook is, 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 is crazy, but this is all part of the process. Who is not going to hear your voice? How long before someone else's voice is removed? Many people, as you know, have chosen not to uh, put their information on Medium or on, on YouTube, et cetera, because they're all worried about being demonetized or being kicked off. And yet Greenwald, one of the founders of The Inter Intercept, could not get an article through. This is all very worrying. Hence, you're seeing a lot of journalists doing what I've done, which is to start a new space on Substack and try and do it on their own or to do it in small collectives. Big tech is where all the information is being funneled through, private information, biometric information when you count your photo. And this is why the Google workers in 2018 protested their own company. And now what's happening is where they were successful in getting Google to stop. Guess what's happened? All of these Google workers and from other companies are now being able to join think tanks, be part of Biden's transition team, and be considered to members of his cabinet and other high roles within the White House. Um, our free speech is up for grabs, not just in the UK or in France or in the US, but you know, globally speaking. So how do we mm. how do we come to access what is the the data public sphere or the you know the public square that is more and more uniquely happening online as people have less and less time to go outside and with lockdowns legally can't go outside. And yet your voice, your your posters and the contagion from your work has had a, a knock on effect. So this means that people are using social media in a very good way too. Mm. I think, well, what's standing for women, what we've decided to do is um, actually go out in the public square. So clearly I was arrested um, a few weeks ago and they've declined to actually send any further paperwork about that. So, and other people have had their fines cancelled. Um, so for to put people in the picture, I basically did an event up in Leeds uh, which is West Yorkshire in the UK. And West Yorkshire police are quite renowned for ignoring grooming gangs. Um, there's a managed, uh, there's basically a prostitution area where there's very uh, damaged, exploited women um, selling their bodies and in a prostitution sort of area where the police are ignoring it. And so Leeds in particular and West, West Yorkshire police, they have a terrible track record with women and misogyny and so we decided to do an event up there and it's called uh, reclaiming the public square uh, one corner at a time which refers to speaker's corner in Hyde Park in London and so the idea is that you go out and you speak the words that the social media giants are telling you that you can't say that the police are beginning to tell you that you're not allowed to utter or type online. And so it's all about rep reclaiming the actual public square. And there's something really empowering about being actually outside in front of people and speaking. Now, unfortunately for me, uh, the police decided 
people that were there but they decided that i'd broken covid lockdown uh, restrictions which wasn't true and the fact that they haven't really pursued me further proves the point that they now know it wasn't true and it was a terrible thing to do to stop women talking in public but that's um that's something that standing for women feel really strongly about because free speech i mean there are plenty of women on the left and feminists who don't agree with free speech at all they they do see that speech can be harmful and harmful harm is violence and all this stuff and i just think fundamentally free speech is the most important for the most disenfranchised enfranchised members of society because if you can't talk about your oppression or your circumstances uh, then you can't begin to resolve them and so um i'm i don't know if i'm a free speech absolutist because i it hasn't really been tested I tested myself to the full breadth of what that might mean, but I would like to think I was a free speech absolutist. Well, for about Americans and others listening to this, can you explain the significance of Speaker's Corner? Because many people are not aware what it, what it means in the discourse of, let's say, Hyde Park in London. Well, it's where the suffragettes um, had their big rallies. Um, at Venice Allen, uh, part of Standing for Women, she's a much uh, she's much more clued up on Speaker's Corner. But essentially, what it is in modern Britain is it's a place um, where you can go, take a soapbox. You're not allowed to any amplification, so it's just your voice. And what Standing for Women does is we go and stand on a ladder with a poster behind us, and we talk about women's rights now unfortunately what speaker's corner is in 2020 is a lot of men arguing about islam so that might be different factions of islam uh you occasionally get uh jews uh or you'll get evangelical christians and it seems to be quite a nicely tempered place but there are some Christians from some of the more Muslim countries, so there's some Turkish Christians that go. Um, they, especially the women, they are often bullied and intimidated by some of the uh, Muslim men. Uh, there was one, uh, a lady called, I want to call her Hayton, uh, spelled H-A-T-U-N. She was there a couple of weeks ago with a picture of uh, the Prophet Muhammad, and she was basically punched unconscious by a man. So there is a little bit of weirdness going on there where sometimes the police turn a blind eye to some of the rules of the park which are things like no religious worship so you're not allowed to congregate on prayer mats and pray um but they islam so muslims are do seem to get away with contravening some of these laws uh yeah. in a way that other people don't but goodness knows why that is um but yeah, that, that's essentially what it is. It's your place to go and talk to people. For example, right. there's a man there uh, who talks about not having children and how actually populating the world is a terrible thing to do and it will bring on the destruction of the world. And so he was talking there a few weeks ago and he's got everyone, you know, he's a great speaker. He's quite funny and he's a great speaker and, and he's telling these, and it's predominantly young men around him, like wide-eyed, listening, thinking, yeah, I agree. And I just, I just went yeah. up and, and I just said to the, uh, stood in front of him and I said, you do realise this man's got four, ch four children. <laughs> so, hey. The guy that tells everyone not to have kids has got four children himself. It's so good. But uh, when we got attacked by 
So we got really intimidated by a Black Lives Matter march that was sort of, I don't know why they came through Hyde Park because that wasn't the planned route for them, but that's where we were. And they walked past us and then they saw one of the leaders or the sort of front, um, yeah, the leaders of the march. One of them saw me on, on, a, on a megaphone and then they started shouting about trans lives. So we sort of responded and, and talked about women, adult, human, female. And they sort of pushed some of us and intimidated us and shouted at us. And um, the men at Speaker's Corner all came to sort of make sure we were all right and, uh, and assist. So that was, that was pretty nice. Yeah, I saw the video of your being arrested and such. Um, excellent on you for recording it. So your charges have Thanks. not been dropped while others have had their charges dropped? Well, I, I'm. what they did is they arrested me because I wouldn't give them my details. Um, mm -hmm. You know, that was a plan really for me that uh, I'd rather be arrested and, and then actually speak in court and say some of the things that women are too frightened to say uh for example i would say that trans women are men in a court of law i would use uh the correct pronouns for somebody uh and i i want the opportunity to say that in court and so that's why i did that and um they basically said that what they would do is they would contact me via letter uh with a summons to attend court and i've not received any such thing and other people who received fixed penalty notices under the COVID uh, load of nonsensical laws, mm -hmm. uh, many of them have had their um, FPNs just dropped. And I presume you have taken down the data about the fact that <clears throat> environmental protests were not received in a similar way to yours. Absolutely. Well, you know, we had... It's really interesting because when the Black Lives Matter protests were happening in the United Kingdom, in places like Bristol, uh, we were still in lockdown. Nobody got arrested uh, for that. And also there were no uh, corona spikes. So it wasn't like Bristol after having these thousands of people all mixing in close proximity. It wasn't like they then had a, this massive COVID-19 spike with many deaths and infection rates going up they just didn't have that but at the same time we were being told that it was still really contagious and you shouldn't go out and you shouldn't meet and you shouldn't see families and uh you know the elderly people in care homes not allowed to be visited and all these terrible things i had friends of uh who who died alone uh and funerals where you weren't allowed to hug your mother when your father just died and at the same time we had this this COVID-19, this Black Lives Matter, um, which should have been super spreaders, surely, uh, none of that materialized. So it's, there's so many themes of dishonest or things that don't make sense. It's very difficult to pin your hat on, on one conspiracy theory because so many of them <laughs> seem to be, like it did, if COVID-19 is really um, contagious, as contagious as they say, which I've no doubt that it is, or it, I have no idea. But if it is, then Black Lives Matter protests throughout the United Kingdom and America should have produced massive spikes. Also, if 
you're not allowed to mix and COVID-19 restrictions are true and um, enforceable, then loads of people should also have been arrested. Like whether or not the COVID-19 is, is as contagious as they said in the first place, uh, they still made no arrests and apparently it was totally fine to, to have those protests. Certainly, there's been a, a, um, a lot of people be, who have been unaccountable for having protests when others had protests and were given summons or arrested um, and on both sides of the Atlantic, by the way. Um, and this is part of the critique, the larger critique that's gone on around free speech, because this does come down to who is free to protest and who is free to be surveyed by CNN for, you know, not maintaining social distance. Oh, no, no. Um, so the, a, a woman called Claire up in Leeds had had many conversations, quite fraught, I think, with um, an officer, oh, I want to call Kieran. And mm -hmm. I spoke with him and he was just so cross. He was like, you can't have this protest. And I said, well, you're saying that women aren't allowed to meet. And I consider that a politically motivated maneuver by the police. And if you turn up tomorrow and you arrest women who are simply meeting uh, to talk about women's rights, then I think you uh, are A, getting it wrong, but also infringing my human rights. And he was just having none of it. And he said, so when we arrived, there were like two police vans either side for 16, I think there were 16 women. <laughs> um, you know, maybe more would have gathered, but it was not, it's not necessarily about having a huge crowd of people. It's about, it's about just being able to say these things out loud. But yeah, he was a very, he was very cross, really just, Had you seen any of these officers before with your, your previous interactions no. with the West Yorkshire police? Okay. Um, but you were maintaining social well, not distance, that I recognize, as I recall. No. You, you were maintaining social distance, though, as well, I we, recall. Look, we didn't... Yeah, well, we'd... Um, I mean, I, I'm a bit funny about all of this. I, I just I feel uncomfortable with the whole social distancing and everything. Um, but we'd done a risk assessment. I'd gone through uh, a COVID risk assessment based on religious worship. So I used that as a template and I'd gone through it all. And we had hand sanitizer, we had spare masks, we had chalk so that we could put marks on the floor for people to stand. Uh, we had all of that. The event hadn't even started when they swooped in and, and started getting really cross with us and, and wanting to, I mean, they handcuffed a woman, they handcuffed somebody uh, and took her to a police van, which is so oh, way one, beyond uh, anything necessary. The woman wearing the fat police t-shirt? No, she wasn't the first arrested. So the first person arrested was, um, I'm actually speaking on my YouTube, so there's a whole live stream about it. And there's a lady called uh, Sophie mm -hmm. and she was just arrested almost straight away. And they took her to a van in handcuffs which is, I mean, they shouldn't have even touched us, really. There was no need. Nobody was going to resist arrest. So they didn't need to touch us, and they did. I was sort of, he grabbed the scruff of my jacket to walk me off, and I was quite happy to walk. <laughs> Just, I was happy to go and sit in a police van and continue to record because they had no idea how to switch off my phone. I, had no, I didn't know I was still recording. 
um, until I thought they'd switched my phone off until my husband phoned me. And fortunately, I could see that via my Apple Watch. <laughs> so, so it was, uh, I could see that it was him and I just had to answer and go, arrested. <laughs> just then put the phone down. Well, the, the will to shut down this kind of uh, discussion about women's based rights is not new. You mentioned the suffragettes earlier, uh, but you also mentioned the fact that some feminists do believe that some speech should not be allowed. And now I know we've known each other from Facebook groups for several years now. And I know that you've gone mm -hmm. from calling yourself a feminist to not calling yourself a feminist because of some of the divisions that exist not only around free speech, but that exists around some of the monolithic constructions that certain women in the feminist movement mm. have constructed, who's authorized to speak, who deserves to speak, and then their own PC politics, which I've, I've characterized this as an elite feminism, because many of the women making these decisions about who's good and bad as a feminist, who's worthy of being called a feminist or a radical feminist even, are often the very movers and shakers who are privileged enough to have the microphone handed to them regularly by Newsnight, by Good Morning Britain, etc., uh, Radio 4. Mm -hmm. And these are often women, even journalists, who, are, who have taken aim at you specifically. And I would mm -hmm. you know, be interested to hear <laughs> your Who knew I was that important? <laughs> well, you became, uh, from 2018 especially, uh, quite a paradoxical figure to some of these women. You were accused of being a racist. You were accused of admiring, even having a moniker of Tommy Robinson, which I'm still waiting to see produced. That's never been produced. <laughs> and um, to being a racist like literally to hating Muslim women, to hating Muslim men, to hating Muslims. Mm -hmm. And I can think of very few things you haven't been called by some of these women who characterize themselves as you know, feminists. I know. Well, the first thing I've got to say is that there's this, there's this idea amongst these feminists that ultimately the best thing about them is being on the left. And they're on the left because they are champions of working class women. The, you know, the ultimate in um, uh, activist wear is this idea that they care so much about working class women. And anybody who doesn't vote for the left uh, doesn't care about the poorest and uh, most vulnerable working class women. Well, the truth of it is in the United Kingdom, 42% of those poor, stupid working class women vote conservative. Uh, but this idea of rescuing these poor, stupid working class women who don't know what's good for them, I think we have to, I think they have to stop doing that because they are not the arbiters of all that's moral at all. Um, and often they're, they're quite bullish and, and not very nice people. So that's, that's one thing that I just want to get out of the way because I'm sick and tired of reading that if you're not a Labour supporter, then you want more people to be homeless uh, that just isn't true. I mean, I'd, I've voted Labour nearly my whole life, so um, well, it doesn't work for me. I certainly don't want to be on the side of people that want to mutilate children's bodies, uh, want to rent women's bodies for sex, and mm. want to obliterate women's rights. Um, so this idea that these women on the left um, uh, 
So your large socialist feminist organization, uh, Women's Place UK, which platformed up until maybe six months ago, the person they'd most platformed besides one of their own was a man called Christina Harrison, uh, who played on a women's football team, used women's changing rooms, called himself a lesbian. Uh, you know, the absolute thing that we are all fighting against, uh, they repeatedly platformed. And at the same time, they took aim at me. And I don't, lots of people have used words like envy or jealous, and I really don't think it's that. I think it's um, about power. I think it's uh, hierarchies that they will probably refuse to acknowledge, but they all participate in. You have Helen Lewis at the top of the game because she is seen as a, as a respectable journalist. Uh, for me, Helen Lewis uh, seems to straddle the fence a little bit when it comes to some of these fights and the language that she's prepared to use. And then you've maybe got on the next rung, you might have Judy Bindle. Uh, then you might have Kathleen Stock, although I think Kathleen Stock has broken away from that recently with some of her comments about how the left and the right isn't working very well. Uh, then you've got some of the academics who are only known in the very small circle of feminism. And then you've got everybody else vying for the attention underneath. And I just think they replicate a hierarchy. That's, and that's just it. They, I, and I don't fit and I won't fit and I refuse to fit. And I'm not invited and neither do I want to participate in whatever it is that they're doing because they seem to be protectionists about protecting men and women on the left. And ultimately men on the left is what, what their game seems to be. Ultimately the beneficiaries of their gatekeeping are men on the left. I don't care. I don't really care about any of their other politics. The only thing that matters to me is that somebody is female, firstly, they are my first concern, um, and children and men, and it's people that don't know what's going on, and by virtue of not knowing, are inadvertently consenting to this mass gaslighting of our society. And so I just, I don't care how I do it. I don't care who the people are who receive this message, but I want everybody to know what's going on because I think most right-minded people would be absolutely outraged if they knew that their elderly mother can no longer go to a single sex ward, ward in a hospital and definitely not share a ward with a man or that their daughter can't go on a residential trip with school and not have a boy in her bedroom. I think that most people would be absolutely outraged and would say no. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please consider donating to Savage Minds. We depend on readers and listeners just like you for our support. Now back to our podcast. We see that many of these women who have, how to put it nicely, defamed you, <laughs> um, have, have made a career out of being divisive with, amongst themselves as well. Mm. Um, I've noticed that there have been many fallouts, to include myself. I was, I was one of your defenders early on, simply because we've never met in real life. We uh, barely know each other, but I saw what you wrote. I read it too. And I, I said, look, I'm a 
if you Google my name and add Islamophobia to that Google search, you will find dozens of academic papers on the subject. I know what Islamophobia is and what she is mm. saying is simply not it. In fact, when we talk about Islamophobia, I mean, as a scholar, you have to qualify that. Saying that you disagree with women's oppression and religion could be also viewed thusly as a Buddhist-phobic or Christianophobic, you know, because yeah. women in religion have always gotten the short end of the stick. Uh, there is no religion that I know of that allows women to have either equal or more power than men mm. in any way, symbolically, structurally. And I was a bit alarmed that during lockdown here, I was in the butt of an attack. I had no idea because I don't use Twitter with any regularity. I got these emails saying, oh, are you aware that these women are trashing you? And here I was with two kids, uh, very sick, not with COVID, but I was really floored by what was happening because they did what one journalist referred to as bitch and block. So they complain about me and block me. Well, to be fair, they had already blocked me last year when I first defended you and Julia Long after you returned from D.C., because they, you know, again, these same women tried to make you and Julia Long out as a problem to the women's movement. Now, skip to last week, and who was elected mm. as senator from Maryland? That poor, poor woman. That poor, that poor, powerless poor woman, woman and, Sarah McBride. Yep. And this is Sarah McBride who ran the HRC's press office where I could not get an answer from the press office until he was out of office until he was actually running for senator. Finally, I got an answer from the press office. Can you believe it? Over two years trying. Now, I I take real issue with people calling you and Julia hateful, uh, you a bigot, et cetera, et cetera, all because- Possibly illegal, possibly legal and criminal behavior, asking a man some questions. Yes, yes, I mean, this is insane. And I wrote back, that was Kathleen Stuck that said that to you. I wrote her back on Twitter. I was very polite and I said, well, you have a little conception of what protest looks like in the United States. Protest is just that. In fact, you did nothing illegal, not by U.S. law, not by any law that uh, would recognize civil or political protest. And yet both of you were mired in controversy on the Twitter sphere. I had a personal discussion with another philosopher who, who basically thought that she and her gang were running the show. And uh, since then, I've got nothing but flack from all of them. The, I was kicked off the Slack group that Kathleen Stock had invited me to. So my voice only mattered in as much as I would get on the slam dunk Posey Parker you know, bandwagon. And the minute mm. I said, no, this isn't really fair and it's not right, I don't agree with anyone's politics to include my own. My politics have changed from that discussion we had years ago in that group that cannot be named on Facebook, where you were raising issues about Islam. And my first impression was, hey, that sounds a little not right. And I would say my piece and you'd say your piece. But I learned a lot from that interaction with you because what you underscored about the police in in the UK and England specifically looking the other way over grooming gangs was not only spot on, but the very women in that group who were calling you a bigot went on to pen a piece just this past spring that took your words and plagiarized them as her own, saying that we need to also consider that maybe by looking the other way about grooming gangs, we're caving into this perception of racism and thusly creating a new kind of racism. Like she was basically saying what you said, 
And, and then the other irony is people like Bindel calling you a right winger while making her bread and butter from the right wing media, which is, of course, her right. Who's going to pay a woman to write about trans politics? It's not going to be the Guardian. It's not you know, unless they're saying TWAW. Well, the so, funny thing about the whole Islamophobia charge is that's come from probably discussions I had on Mumsnet about the difficulty of being shackled by garments that are about shaming women um, and then calling yourself a feminist. And, and, you know, I probably was very clumsy with my words. Uh, however, most of the evidence is six tweets from the, I don't know, 80,000 tweets I'd made on Twitter before I was kicked off. Mm. And I've made loads of comments about lots of different religions. It won't just be uh, Islam. I it was a huge critic of the Catholic Church, um, particularly with the Pope before last. And so this idea that Islam is the only religion I've ever criticized is absolutely bonkers and just not true. As for individual women, um, there's something to be said for, for making somebody the monster because then you can divert attention away from yourself. Um, you know, I, d I don't really want to talk about the character of some of the women that you've mentioned, but um, to say that I think if I used words like fraud and um, it's only a matter of time, and then we'll just leave the listener to think about who I might be talking about, because I do think... <laughs> There's some, there's some very questionable uh, claims being made by all sorts of women in this fight. I mean, I have a little bit of abuse from men. Nothing like, nothing like I've had for women on, in this fight. The worst things that have been said about me, to me, um, and the most vitriolic uh, behavior and pylons have been from women on our side. And I think even, right, say that I am everything I'm accused of, um, mm -hmm. or even if they believe it, mm -hmm. if I knew somebody was making really massive uh, steps forward in a fight that I was also in, I may not try and massively publicly shame them. So mm -hmm. I, for example, one of the women who will remain nameless I know a fair few things about which I think are entirely questionable that don't necessarily have any impact on her views about this thing, about this fight. And so therefore, I don't need to go public about it. I mean, often the, the things that she does that make herself look terrible are, are very public anyway. But I don't need to further criticise that. Even the, the woman who defamed me and lied about me so terribly and totally wrecked a massive um, action and is sort of a crazy pathological liar. That person also does some really good work um, in other aspects of, of the feminist struggle. And so I also don't need to publicly attack her at every opportunity. I just occasionally respond. But I think that the, you know, there's, a, there's a bigger war that we all should be fighting and I don't really have any time or energy for women who want to repeatedly turn me down. For a start, Julian, it's been happening to me since I was about eight. So it's, um, you know, it's, it's nothing significant.
It's interesting to me how many of these women that claim to be on the left, one of them, in fact, when I interviewed her piece I was writing a few years ago, said, oh, you're writing this for Quillette? Well, Quillette is very right-wing. And I said, says who? It's actually not right-wing. It's one of the few publications that's running pieces to the left and the right of center. It's uh, mm. doing what publications ought to be doing more of. Anyways, I was really shocked because of this group of women. Some of them have written, well, one has written for Quillette, another writes consistently for the right-wing media. And why not? As I wouldn't run around yeah. outing people and saying, oh, you make your money from the Daily Mail, because guess what? As I wrote in a recent piece thanking women who had a foot in this race, it's because of the right-wing media that we've gotten anywhere, really. Uh, and as long as we're going to start to denigrate people for being on a political uh, thread that we don't participate in, then we've already, we've already lost. I think it's really admirable the kind of actions you've been taking, not only reaching across the aisle, but saying it really doesn't matter. Because when you're talking about women's rights, fundamentally, you're talking about human rights. I mean, I dare say none of these women would be making a similar argument if, if the argument, let's say, were stop bombing X country. Would they say, okay, you can bomb people who were on the right of center. Just please don't bomb <laughs> people. And, you know, it would, be, it would be ridiculous and it would be regarded as an unserious argument. But somehow these women have gotten away with cherry picking who is worthy, which women are worthy of having their voices heard and defending. And I really like, you know, when I listen to you, you're always talking about the rights of women. And, and that is, to me, even though you don't call yourself a feminist, that's what mm -hmm. feminism is about. It's not about being the high priestess and purveyor of, are you a worthy feminist? You know, like mm -hmm. I sometimes get hate mail. I got a really funny one, like, you're not even a radical feminist, fuck you. And I was thinking, okay, well, you're right, I'm not. I didn't answer her. But these are the kinds of things I'm also privy to, which I find amusing because I've never once in my life said I was a radical feminist. And if you mistakenly think I am, that's, you're right. I have no beef against these women either. But somehow I'm held to account for radical feminism because all over the internet, uh, people have called me a turf. Well, men are called turfs too, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. What I find really interesting about the left is you've got women in Iran who are being imprisoned for taking off their hijab and, and, or dancing or attending a football uh, match during the um, last Olympic Games. And there is, there's just a silence on it. And I just, I just don't buy it that, uh, you know, you've got uh, Jacinta Ahern, is that her name down in New Zealand, when a mosque gets bombed, uh, she put on a hijab, which I found quite an excruciating uh, display of solidarity, that then you have to dress like somebody in order to say that um, I stand with you. That seems peculiar. But I, I've never heard these people talk about women actually being imprisoned. And so when I think about Muslim women, and I think about them as women, um, and as humans, I'm thinking about those who are fighting to be free and express themselves how they want and uncover their hair throughout Iran way before I'm thinking about um, the historical fact that 
Islam in the past and Muslims were far more progressive than we were living in um, whatever state we were in when they were building mosques and, and, and doing uh, exceptional maths and uh, biology and so on. Uh, you know, I just think about 2020 and where they are there. But I, I don't think I'm necessarily right. I just, I just try and see each woman as, an, as, an, as a woman before she's anything else. Because I think once you start imposing cultural relativism on the human rights and dignity of somebody, you are just setting yourself up to fail, to see, see them as a, as a human in their own right. That's an interesting critique you made of uh, Arden. Um, I was thinking about this, from the other side as well, because I've done a lot of work in the Muslim world and in some mm. countries like Morocco, you legally aren't allowed to go into a mosque unless you are a Muslim. In other countries, you can access a mosque as long as as a woman, you wear a headscarf and your arms aren't exposed, and, you know, so forth. Mm. And I was thinking about how our political dialogue is happening in terms of looking like the other. I have to wonder if this is not part of the trend movement ethos as well, where I have to wonder why men just can't say, instead of I am feeling like a woman, I still don't understand what that means. I don't think I ever will understand that because it reads as fetish to me. Because I'm a woman, I've given birth to children, I have no idea what that really means to feel like a woman, because it sounds like a, a bad perfume commercial. But when, why can't men just say, I I'm also feminine, or I like wearing dresses. Like, I wouldn't have a problem with men prancing around in dresses or stomping around in dresses or whatever they want to do in dresses. But the mm -hmm. fact that we have to now look like the other to sympathize with them, like, are men dressing in dresses to really be women? Or can't we just say that it's a prime minister in a hijab, but why does, you know, as you've asked, why does she feel the need to have to wear this? Why is that a sign of respect? as opposed to just saying, I really sympathize with your loss. And it is our mm. loss too, because we are one nation, that type of rhetoric. Yeah. And why, where have we gone as a Western civilization where sympathizing with can only be demonstrable at the point of parody or mimesis, you know, replicating mm. the other. And it's, it, it, these raise, you know, interesting questions because until the, in 1970s, politically speaking at least, there was nothing wrong with recognizing difference. And then we had... Yeah, yeah, I mean, you know, we, uh, I, I interviewed uh, Glenn Lowry the other day who spoke about, you know, the historic representation of African Americans. And he was like, why are we talking about slavery still? We have become fixated on an era that's so far behind our culture even if some of the traces or remnants are still there, mm. lightly so, however, why do we have to stick to, let's say, that particular historical moment? Why can men only see women as vestiture? You know, have you ever wondered through all your activism, why you haven't, like, I haven't ever come across one trans-identified man who says, I am deep down a woman, please pay me 40% less. You know, like I would believe that this was a real thing, a medical condition, if I could see one case of that. But I don't. Well, it's like um, we had BLM marches, didn't we? So for the historical, we had to pull down a statue of Colston. 
who lived in a time who was uh he i think i read that he uh was also part of the abolition of slavery so yeah. um yeah. and he also sort of gave money and it wasn't just to to it wasn't schools built for white kids it was schools built but anyway um him aside we had those protests but at the same time i don't remember a protest when uh or even a big show of solidarity when the vietnamese uh the bus sorry the trailer load of vietnamese people who died uh, so literal slaves literal slavery human trafficking mm -hmm. when we see it in front of us there's there's no massive great big uh public outpour there's right. people aren't marching in the streets people aren't marching in the streets about the leeds managed managed zone of prostitutes that they'll get they'll take a knee for black lives matter for historical racism that um or slavery rather and racism that if you really ask most of those people what do you think um black people face in the uk that white people don't and i'm not saying that there aren't things i'm just saying that the most of the people that took a knee would have no idea what really any form of racism actually feels or looks like i think they have a media fed idea but uh i don't think they could tangibly give you proper examples um and so there's this disconnect between what is really happening and our impotence in doing something about it and what we pin actions on uh, to make ourselves feel like we're doing something about something when I was living in France, I remember seeing the hatred by the French towards, say, Algerians far more than what I saw expressed towards people coming from Cameroon or Senegal. And one day I asked someone, I said, why is going on? Why is this happening? This is back in the 80s. And the person whom I asked said, well, racism generally takes place between the nearest neighbor. And I thought a lot about that because the same is true for the States. When you see racism in the States, it's, it's far more frequent to be against Mexicans, even more so than against African-Americans. There's an event that happens once a year in New York called a day without Mexicans. The city shuts down completely because everyone knows this is the open secret. We would be nowhere without even quote unquote illegal immigrants. I have to put this all in quotes because there's a longer story and a larger discussion there. <laughs> but I do think that it's much easier to go back 150 years and look at something that has minimal to no impact on today, as opposed to where were the protests about the bodies being trafficked to the UK in these, in these horrific scenes of, of death? And why are so many trans uh, supporters, the same ones that say, fuck you, bitch, burn in a fire, etc. I mean, this is happening. And so you see this utmost reverence for men in dresses and then hatred for women who say but they're men in dresses it's a paradox isn't it yeah yeah it's the same as that it's um i can't help feeling it's this transactional thing so when it comes to money for example before you could get overdrafts and credit then people uh you would you would wait for stuff right so if you wanted a car you'd have to save up i mean i've always been in a 
uh, in an environment, in a culture, in a society where you could get credit. My parents, not so much. So that would be if you wanted to borrow money, you'd have to go to and have a meeting with the bank manager. And it was all a bit more of an ordeal. And, and therefore, my parents never had an overdraft. They were, you know, they didn't have any money. They didn't have an overdraft. So as we've progressed into everything being more immediate and now you've got everything that's immediate. So you don't wait for two weeks to get, I, I promise that this is heading somewhere, Julian. Uh, you don't wait two weeks anymore to take your photo film, your camera film mm -hmm. into mm -hmm. the developer and you wait. And then at the end of it, you might see your photo and maybe one out of 40 is a good photo and you're elated that 10 out of 40 don't have stickers on to tell you that you really can't take photos and now we have instead uh filtered photos so everything in your world view comes through this special lens whether it be what you see on your social media feed um, how you see yourself everything has become really unreal and uh, not tangible. And so maybe we revert back to historical struggles and fights because we can, they're also not tangible, but they do make us feel better about ourselves. I mean, my historical fights, however, right? Because what we're seeing with transactions is a focus primarily on men's rights. And I yeah. know people will say, but there are women who identify as transgender, of course. But they're not the ones. Nobody cares us. about them. Yeah, no <laughs> one cares about them because, ironically, even the trans activists know what sex is, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And 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 I'm looking, you know, here at CNN's page. I go to CNN for my onion moment now, and you see <laughs> the the top stories here. You know, the British nurse charged with murder of eight babies appears in court. Meanwhile, the same publication a few days ago had a piece on the. Uh, how old is she? 14-year-old bride in Pakistan. Um, isn't that called rape? But here we are once again. Like yeah. there are specific rules being used and being enforced for us to call men she if they wear a dress yeah. and identify as. But meanwhile, well, an eight-year-old, a 14-year-old is married too. How on the how on earth? And remember when the Boko Haram, uh, Haram uh, kidnapped all the girls from Nigeria and they were called child, you know, they were called brides in one yeah. article. Yeah. Um, this is what's happening. So there's only a certain recognition of historical discomfort. People are historically discomfortable, uncomfortable with slavery, but somehow misogyny is very comfy. It's like an old pair of slippers for many. And it's so weird. It's it's like, I mean, when do you ever see anything about the Yemen on the news? You just don't you don't see that country being blown to smithereens and people starving. We don't see that. And yet I have to hear um, people calling <laughs> calling Don Donald Trump a genocidal maniac. I'm like, mm, there's a literal genocide. Um, uh, maybe it's politically not called a genocide so uh, forgive my ignorance but you've literally got that country um being bombed and people starving to death you've literally got that you've got all of the um religious people uh, large swathes of muslims but basically anybody religious in china uh you've got what they're doing in hong kong all of these proper uh for want of a better word genocides going on um 
and yet people are calling Trump genocidal. And I'm like, he's the only one that didn't drop bombs. And someone said, oh, but he raged war on his, his own people. I was like, well, I don't know, did he? Like, am I just, I don't want to defend Trump because I think he's a really odious, awful human being. And his business practices put many people out of business. And so I'm in no, I'm in no Trump corner, but I'm getting mighty annoyed by the fact that, that this election that's just happened was fought based on things that were kind of personality and not real. Whereas I'm pretty sure he's done some terrible things as a president that, that he could have been fought on, but he wasn't. It's just, it's just so, all of it's so, mad. This is where I'm very distrustful of the media. For all that staged, you know, you're going to have a debate. I didn't see many hard questions being put to Biden about his role in these covert wars, supporting strategies in already ongoing wars, such as that of Saudi Arabia. Yemen is a human rights disaster, along with Syria, mm -hmm. uh, because of the travesty of, of what war has ravaged on that country, now starvation. And uh, it seems the media has been complicit in dodging its responsibility to ask the question and to maybe raise the bar and what they should be asking. So Susan Rice, who was behind that strategy, by the way, along with you know, Biden and Obama, very much looks to be a nominee in the future cabinet. Stay tuned there. But mm. this, is, this is really insane that the war in Yemen has never been viewed during Trump's administration as a Trump war. Everyone in Yemen knows this was started by Obama and Biden. And I'm adding Biden's name to this simply because he was not only the vice president at the time, but he also had a role in certain kinds of political plans. It was Biden who went after Assange and Snowden. He was the one that wanted to ensure that journalists and whistleblowers were imprisoned and prosecuted. And this does not even strike a chord for Democrats. Again, go to, when you get back on Facebook, go to my wall. I have some in real life friends who have serious problems with the fact that I'm criticizing Biden for his role in destroying democratic process. Uh, but he yeah. also, he, he started the criminal justice bill, right? That put loads and loads of black men in prison Absolutely. for just having like a little bit of weed. And he also did talk about the racial jungle when it was desegregation. I, I, I mean, I'm not saying that that makes him worse than anybody, but I'm really surprised how when the left do something and and i use the left uh unwisely when talking about democrats because i don't think they are but right. when the left in america um who we shall call the democrats uh when they do something people don't talk about it i don't even i don't even understand where that comes from it's it's so weird it's a little bit like when people said that when women complained about um, Bill Cosby, that Bill Cosby was protected because the struggle uh, against racism was more important than those women who had been victims of rape. So shaming one of the sort of the grandfathers of black America uh, and making him criminally accountable for those attacks on women was very bad for 
race relations in America. So it was, you know, it's it's that sort of thing, isn't it? That you you have to protect your own uh, above and beyond the essential morality that keeps everybody safe. Absolutely. But there's this idea that we have to shut up, just like, you know, women are calling men she because they want to seem to be in solidarity with someone. But since when is lying for the sake of political acceptance, solidarity, really? I mean, we've never really seen that. That's just a way out of getting let out of the dungeon. And yeah. um, I don't think I could have voted for either man if I had to, because there, there were options. I would have chosen an independent candidate. But my worry was that Trump um, not win, because we knew already it was going to be between Biden and Trump. And my worry is always this, uh, now that Biden's in office, you see these neoliberal Americans, and you're very correct in saying the Democrats are not left. There's nothing left about that party. It's only pseudo left in terms of, you know, smiley face and striking all the right chimes with talking about world poverty and war. But what we're seeing is Biden's cabinet and his decisions are already summing up to look much more right wing than Trump. There's no doubt about this. I think a lot of reason why people like Joe Rogan are attracting more and more attention from media consumers are, are, is the fact that they are tired of the CNN fake exits from the basement after a, a fake COVID you know, enclosure by mm. the, the governor of New York's brother the fake bantering of the brothers on CNN. I mean, CNN became almost a reality show for the Cuomo brothers. And I, know, also I, I can't believe this. Take it. So I've got a friend who lives in California. Um, I was saying to him, is Chris Cuomo taken serious? Like, is he a serious news person? Because <laughs> I watched him interview Ice Cube. Um, I've, I've never laughed. It's like a parody. He kept sort of saying, bro. And he was interviewing him after Ice, is it Ice Cube had come out and said about um, Trump and he'd seen both political uh, parties and one had said, we're going to do something and the other said, talk to us later. And so he just reported that. And I think there was some investment going somewhere. I, I don't know the details. Anyway, Chris Cuomo obviously had attacked him over this and then had him on to have a discussion. It was it was so weird, uh, but I understand that he is taken seriously. Well, everyone, especially uh, black men and women in the U.S., are getting hell for saying anything that's critical of the Democrats, that say anything critical of Black Lives Matter. Look at Glenn Lowry and, and you know Adolph Reed. Glenn and I spoke last week about Adolph Reed's expulsion from the DSA. He was basically no platform from two talks in the spring in Philadelphia and New York. And I wrote a piece up on this. I won't say which editor, but one of the places I write for, the editor wrote me back and said they wouldn't run it because Reed was not no platform. Well, this is completely a fiction. He was absolutely mm. platform. That's the definition of the word platform and no platform. Deplatforming de is when you're invited to speak and they say, no, you can't. Because Reed's crime was in an article in Common Dreams, he spoke to the neo-racism occurring within the left, where people are saying that now there is a genetic trait with no proof that allows black 
Americans to somehow be infected by COVID at a higher rate. And this was going back to a very primitivist, you know, 19th century style racism. And he pointed this out. He was also pointing out that we need to have class analysis and get away from uh, race as a as either a trope or a an ontology, because race has been disproven since Darwin, and uh, there's nothing else to say about except to put that to bed and put the nail in that coffin. Glenn Lowry interviewed John Shields, who's another anthropologist who's done work around the states. I recommend you watch his interview with him, and he he basically showed how. Trump was able to gain support of lifelong Democrats because of class issues. See, this is what the likes of the mean feminists who don't like us won't ever get to, that the, the real left is no longer being represented by the Democrats of the Tories. This is Absolutely. simply not the case. The, the real working class has, the working class has been shifted to the Labor um, from the Labor Party to the Conservatives and in the states towards the Republicans. And this is the outcome of last week's election in the states. When he was talking about shithole countries, the thing is, is working class people aren't stupid. They also know that politics is a theater. They're not dumb. They know exactly what Trump is doing. They've been watching him on TV all these years. They know that he was the guy that said, and you're fired. They knew how to read him. It was the elite. The ones who get on and say, "Well, I would, I won't do, I wouldn't publish in that publication because they're not right, they're not left wing." Mm. Those are the ones who couldn't read what Trump voters were reading, and this is a huge disconnect. We're seeing it in terms of the racial makeup, you know, quote, quote unquote racial makeup of those who voted for Trump. He had higher representation of minorities than any Republican candidate has seen in almost 80 years, if I'm not mistaken, 26% of Americans who voted for Trump were not white. Right men, women, men and women are talking about the dangers of having war hawks in a cabinet. I never thought I'd see this day. Well, you've got um, the, section, the executive order 230 that Trump put through, which was to stop um, the control of uh, social media giants or tech giants that's um biden's going to overturn that straight away uh and he's going to introduce the equality act and he's going to do um like you say he's more in bed with warmongers and it's i just i don't understand why um the idea certainly in the united kingdom uh, about what's going on in america but the the pro-life threat <laughs> Uh, if you can call it that, that people talk about. I just, I don't know. I've read some stuff about Roe versus Wade that is not all as it seems. And so in a democracy, even though I am pro-choice and I think any country rolling back those rights would be foolish, um, I just I just don't know if it, if those rights are more dangerous to lose than the right to define what a woman is i just i just can't see it i can't see how any country actually uh so the stuff i really don't get about the pro-life americans is often they don't believe in maternity pay they don't believe in healthcare, <laughs> they don't believe in a, a woman's right to choose i find all that really crazy um mm -hmm. but 
not being able to name what a woman is in law and not having any protections for women and girls, I think is such a more enormous, pernicious threat that would be far easier to overturn than the reproductive stuff. Um, I, I just, I don't get how anyone sort of celebrates Biden knowing that he's going to do all of these these other things. And that's not to say that they should have celebrated Trump either. Although I do think any, uh, any president who doesn't see China as a threat to the entire world is a moron. Well, here we have another paradox as the Republican Party become, in terms of social issues, more progressive, like more in favor of same-sex marriage or you know they're they're not the homophobic party of the 1980s and so forth and some are uh, not necessarily the majority i haven't looked at the latest statistics but uh, many also are protective of women's rights to choose it depends some republicans in the states are fiscal conservative yeah yeah not yeah. social conservative so that distinction also has to be made but what's um interesting is yes this section 230 that Trump wants to get removed is uh, going to be a huge uh, chunk of the battle for internet freedom because uh, the reason why this, well, there's a long, it's a very long history as to why this was created, but it, it basically keeps the liability of what's posted outside of the tech uh, giant's responsibility. But then mm. one must question why tech giants are censoring their content then. Because there was another law in the States that was brought through um, in the last year and a half, which made it, um, with an, it made this Section 230 have an exception, which had to do with child trafficking and sexual trafficking. So nothing about what you're saying or other feminists and women are saying uh, that men are not women should be sanctioned. Yet, oddly, big, te big tech has taken on the mantle of becoming the overseer of what is and what is not acceptable speech. So it's a, it's a very strange law that exists just to pose a contradiction between the liability of interactive computer services. For instance, you, this does not affect the fact that the telephone company, British Telecom, will not be held responsible if you and I have a conversation and and we say, but they're men, but they're men, but they're men, uh, you will not be sanctioned, nor will the British Telecom, because part of you know human communications is that we're allowed to have our thoughts on various issues. And part of telecom giving the line for us to have a phone call means that they are just allowing us to have that line. They're not saying, Oh, we approve of this message. How is mm. it though that the internet became the space that suddenly AOL or Microsoft or whoever was hosting a certain site or CNN was then responsible for the content posted on them? Um, most of that law was struck down in the courts as an un unconstitutional infringement on free speech, by the way, in 1996. And that was part of the communications Decency Act. So Section 230 was enacted as a result of the Communications Decency Act being struck down as being un unconstitutional, but 
that's the only part of it that remains is section 230. That's why it's called section, section 230. But at the same time, Facebook, Twitter, Google are acting as the overlords of what you and I can say. So Trump is right to want that struck down or that what takes its place? Do we want a Politburo that mm. reads over our every post? Others are well, suggesting an, an internet-free zone, which is also ridiculous. I was saying, um, I was talking to a friend about it and they were sort of saying all the usual things about Trump. And I was like, right, let's say you're right about everything. Let's say he is just the, the worst person on the planet. He's a raging narcissist. He's a bully. He's a whatever he is. And let's say the alternative to that is this political elite where really the faces change, but the leadership doesn't. And the leader of the free world is just somebody who's controlled by these other enterprises and entities that we don't really get to elect. And Trump, all that Trump is, is nothing more than just an eight year break. Wouldn't that be preferable? than more of what we've had before. Uh, and some and that person was like, oh yes, but he's a racist. And I was like, well, and I, I think there was a guy on uh, CNN who cried, a black guy who cried, said everywhere's safer today. My son is, my children are safer. And I just thought, is that tangible? So I had a look at um, the lowest income of black, white and average over the last uh, so since Obama was elected through to today. And it transpired that the there was really no change in the bottom three tiers of white, average. So if you have five income groups, I looked at the bottom three. And black to average and black to white um, had not changed over both of their presidencies. The only significant change was by 0.1% and that was in favor of Trump. So Trump had actually reduced the gap between average um, low income and black low income. That gap had slightly decreased uh, during Trump's presidency, but nothing where you could say he's done these incredible things. Then I had a look at gun violence. Then I had a look at police gun, uh, people murdered by police. And, mm -hmm those statistics have not significantly changed in any way that you could suggest that Trump during his pre presidency had had been worse for worse for black Americans. It just, it just doesn't bear out. Um, and maybe I'm missing something and I'm, I'm quite open to the idea that I don't know what I'm talking about, but I just wondered, is the media, the way the media has portrayed his presidency and his response to the media, um, who would claim they were responding to him, but I can't really see that besides his ridiculous tweets. Um, I, just, I just wondered whether, realistically, this is a media war that, that people have been having. This is a media whipped up frenzy, which Candace Owens says always happens during an election. And yep. that loads of this stuff really isn't true. It's just reported to be true. This is where we are with media. And it seems the only way out of this media sinkhole that we seem to be stuck in is for us to start turning our attention to other media. Well, yeah, yeah, I think, I think you're right. I think the, the rise of, if you look at some of the big hitters on, um, 
who all happen to be men, which I, I can't tell you how infuriating I find it that um, women were sort of kicked out of the left, right? Because uh, men in the left want to call um, men women. And so we're kicked out of the left for not being left enough and not kowtowing to that ideology. But then actually outside of the left, women are also routinely ignored and uh, men expect to speak for us. Uh, I, I just think, I mean, I knew that there was misogyny, right? So, but I probably sat in the left and thought the misogyny was the sexist people that didn't think I could fix an engine or um, knew how to drive a car around a racetrack, right? So that's what I thought sexism was, that there were men on the right who thought women were delicate flowers. Uh, but then those men still exist. And then you've got men on the left that think women don't even know what a woman is. And then women really, and this is why standing for women is about all women, really all women, because mm. we are ignored by everybody. Uh, even in my own, even with some of my own things, uh, which I, I can't go into, but there's been a couple of instances um, where men have decided they will speak about my stories for me. And I, or, um, you know, will come and sort of help women by talking for women. And I just, I don't know, Julian, if I didn't know that sexism was um, absolutely everywhere and unrelenting, I certainly do now. The uh, horrific statue of Mary Wollstonecraft that has been, you know, debated all week. I looked at it and at first I, I glanced at it in social media and thought it was an onion piece because I thought, surely not. I thought it was a joke. Then when I finally had time to read the story yesterday, I was a bit shocked. And I first thought was, how did this woman get the commission? And of course I thought she had OBE after her name. So yeah. I asked people on Twitter, I said, aside from the fact that she has these letters after her name, what were the qualifications? And uh, I, I sincerely doubt I'll get the answer to that question because there's a lot of secrecy as to who gets published in the, in, in the Guardian and who gets published. It was in so garbage. Dismembered yeah. bits of women that made up the, the bottom bit that look like a cross between dog poo and a tree <laughs> stump. Um, and Joe Bartosz wrote about it, but I, I, I I've read a, um, a piece in Spiked. who have done a, two pieces in a row, actually, that are quite, I really disagree with. One is Ellen Whelan uh, defending page three and saying that feminists are ridiculous for saying that we, we don't want it. And the other one was defending uh, the Mary Wilson thing as if feminists were prudes, totally missing the point of the fact that feminism is quite uh, opposed to objectification and therefore a woman without her clothes on was just not the right whatever your views are uh, you know if you're not a feminist whatever your views are on nudity uh, it's not really up to you because that woman was was the founder of supposed founder of feminism so it was what feminism thinks of nudity that would have been far more important to what the average person thought of nudity and that Scott, 143,000. I mean, I'm really thinking of commissioning a bronze um, woman adult human female t-shirt. I haven't got 143 grand, but I'd love like a, like a solid 
Maybe I'll do that. Maybe that'll be my next project.